How do you handle the pressure of always having to be on with friends and family? You're going first. Alcohol? No. <laughs> You're like, really? No, I'm kidding. No, I do. <laughs> so it's really, let me frame the question. So when you're, I struggle, I go back and forth with taking, in the beginning, it was get as, get as many accounts as you possibly can years ago. And then you have these accounts. And then also with like friends, I wind up taking friends on because I don't want to see them get taken advantage of. I don't want to see them get screwed and I want to handle them. But then what happens is I feel like I never get a break. And I feel, I guess lately, I don't know, the last like couple of years, I just feel, it feels like I never get a chance to be me anymore and just hang out because I'm handling people's life savings. And I don't take that lightly, even though my buddies who we used to just like drink and hang out with, or we go, whatever we're doing, there's just always this, a little level of that's the guy who manages the life savings for my family. And it's just, and I could be all in my head. I could be making it all up, but that's just, I feel like there's a little, I guess what I'm saying is, does anybody else, do you feel like that? So I always feel on, but my situation is a little unique. It's I didn't grow up in the insurance back channels. So it, we, it, I didn't have to cold call friends and family. I kind of had it, you have it a little easier in the bank channel that, that there's a referral flow there as you yeah. build a book of business. So what I found interesting for me was family started flocking to me about three to five years ago when I became successful. Like in my first few years in this business, I luckily didn't have to take on friends and family because I wasn't as good as I am today. Like, let's be honest. Like, I, I think we've talked about this prior. I look in the mirror every day and I go, who was that advisor last year? He sucked. Like, I really do think like as an advisor, I keep growing and growing and getting better. So the way I look at it, it as far as family goes, I never solicit. Like, I do not solicit family. I do not solicit friends. I have a lot of family and I have a lot of friends, a lot more than most advisors. I know other advisors go, well, I, I don't take on my family and my friends and I go, yeah, maybe they don't want to take you on too. Um, but at the end of the day, I actually believe that because I know some people like that have said that and I'm like, yeah, they can read into your shit. You're not really, you're not a student of the game. You don't have that passion. But I think if you do, family and friends are going to flock to you. And my family and my friends are now, my, I would say my friends now are clients. So I do go out a lot with clients. I don't feel like I'm always on. I did three or four years ago, I, I really always felt on and I felt like I had to perform and I felt like, but I don't feel like that as much anymore. And I think it's, it goes back to that imposter syndrome where I think as you go through this business and you get better and better, you start to have that confidence that you should have because you are good at what you do. And I don't feel that way as much as I once did, but I definitely can tell you three or four years ago, I felt that way a lot. So what do you think has changed? Just what has changed? Well, how did you get there? I just, I started to realize I'm damn good at what I do. And I see the competition. I know the competition. It's funny. People go like, Evan, how do you know it? And I'm like, I study what other advisors do. Part of the show yeah. is I actually try to find out what other people are doing that, that I can do better. And if it, if I can't do something better, 
then I already know I'm doing it pretty damn good. So I, I just kind of got over it. And I said to myself, I think you also get to a point where you got enough clients and you have enough AUM and you just kind of, you look yourself in the mirror and you go, I am who I am now. And I, like I, I'm lucky. I deal with a specific set of clientele that hits a sweet spot where I'm getting value for them as clients, but I'm also not, I don't, I don't have that one client that's worth $200 million that could blow my practice up tomorrow if they're not here. Like I don't walk around with that fear that my business is going to shut down. I used to walk around with that all the time. And I think I, I hit a certain level that I know I'm comfortable now. Like, so let me ask you from a, it, forget the client perspective, but from a bank channel perspective, because I've just have been independent for 15 years. Yep. Was that a, is that a, when you were at the bank, was that always in the back of your mind? Like oh, the yeah. bank has total control over this thing and they could, this like the rug could get yanked at any time. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> I thought at any time, if they really wanted to fire me, they could, and they could destroy my livelihood. And part of when I left was like, yeah, now I own my clients. Like I own the relationships. I, nobody's going to call them if I leave my affiliate. Like, like I don't ever, I don't walk around with that same fear in the bank. You do, at least I did. And I think other people don't, I think other people are just kind of comfortable in their own skin there. I never was. And that was part of the reason of going independent, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I just, the more I learn about the bank, the banking channel and not that's just the math of it, but you know, a lot of like those, like, yeah, it's great when you're starting out and you're building, but then at some point you're like, man, I'm a decade into this thing. And like, it, it could get taken away from me at any time. You're growing assets. If you're growing assets though, and you're doing things the right way, you're going to be okay. <clears throat> bottom line is if you're taking care of everything, you should be fine. But the other good thing, bad, th the other bad thing about being good at what you do is in the bank channel, you kind of have to take people on. Sometimes you may not take on now as an independent mm. uh, because the bank is mandating that like, be as there's goals. Choosy. You, yeah. you can't be as choosy as he's. Yeah, you definitely can. You definitely can. And if a teller sent, or if somebody in the bank internally says, hey, here's one of our $3 million premier people, handle it. You can't be like, oh, we don't get a, like, we're not a good fit. No, all of a sudden you start doing that. And then that banker starts sending it to other advisors behind your back. And then you end up losing the branch because the branch thinks you don't care about them. There's aspects of that game. You actually, you there. there's politics. Like nobody thinks mm -hmm. if financial advisors deal in politics, in the bank channel, you absolutely do. You like, I had bankers that I give you an example. This happened. Bankers were getting paid on brokered CDs. Like part of their goal was they couldn't get paid on AUM by new FINRA rules or something along those lines. So it was based on assets under management. And so if they brought in a client that did a million dollar brokered CD, that would be the same equivalent to them bringing a million dollars in any other kind of revenue generating product line. So they would find advisors that would take those clients because they go, oh, I'll be able to turn that client from a brokered CD into a, 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 an annuity client or these bank advisors. A lot of them are crappy. A lot of them are sales guys that are selling product. And so I got myself to a level where my book got big enough and due to some buyouts and things happening inside of where I was, it just made sense for me to leave and not have to deal with that negative stuff. So I literally don't go home at night anymore thinking like the rug, the rugs gonna get pulled from me, but I did in the bank channel. I, I absolutely walked around with that fear and it's not fun, but when you're bringing in $30 million a year and new AUM from the referrals and you're racking stuff up as I was in my prime there, like you can't turn that away either. Yeah. Yeah.
But I do feel that way, absolutely. I like this question. Do you ever have those days when you want to sell it all and open a deli? Now, the answer is no on the deli, but I am constantly... It's a metaphor. I do. I am constantly thinking, like, not that I want to get out of the business because I actually love what I do, and I. but there are days and there are weekends where I'm like, man, I should invest in like this because this could make me money and I could walk away from it. But I do look at the business that I have as, as some sort of an annuity and the concept that it provides a cash flow that I, I don't think I would ever have it better owning something else at this point. But I do understand many advisors have this and do want to. So when you wrote this, talk about that. Do you have those days? I mean, it's so I go back. I think it just goes to the heart of the financial. Yes, we're financial advisors, but before we became financial advisors and we're entrepreneurs, I think that there's a certain entrepreneurial spirit that just embodies the, especially the independent advisor, because you just, hey, I'm just doing, we're doing this thing and I'm building something. I think it comes from, it's human nature. I do believe that we're all, we're supposed to create. And I think that's where a lot of people get or have just a hard time in life because they're not creating. I think we're hardwired to create things, whether that be artwork or whether that be dance or whether that be a business or whether that be building a deck in your back. Like, I think there's just at least, I think we're supposed to create in some capacity. I think there are people, and you're definitely one of them, and so am I. I'm actually attacking that by tr- just expanding the business, like hiring new people, trying new things. I think yes. podcasting, I, podcasting, like just creating. Like you're the podcast thing. I did what 70 episodes in like seven months. I'm a little burnt on it. Like honestly, if somebody comes to me, I'll do another podcast. But in the beginning, I was doing three a week. It was like, yeah. I mean, that's if I was looking at, I went on to Apple and I was looking at your pod because everybody who is like, I'm doing a podcast, they wind up burning out after like 11 episodes. Yeah. And if you just want and like a testament to your, like the type of person, I can tell the type of person that you are with everything is I can tell within seven seconds of seeing how many podcasts you've done and the amount of effort that goes into doing, to doing that. And then consistently doing that, it just speaks to, it's part of it, like financial advisor, you can look at somebody's financials and you can tell the, you learn the story of the person by the paper that you're looking at. Cause I think finance, finances tell a story. Like you, you yeah. get immediate insights and I think it's just about being old, being older and figuring out how people think and act, but you're a, clearly a person of action and you carry that over to every different aspect of your, your life. And clearly I do go through those lulls. I do go through those month periods where I'm looking in the mirror going like, what now I, I got to do something like, yeah, yeah. I, I got to do something. This is boring. Like, so I do think if you add things into your practice, that makes that adds like I, I was doing that for months. I was looking at different angles and what to add. And, but yeah, I'm with you. Where it's the am metaphorical, I it's the metaphorical deli and being a financial person. Number one, we're kind of, we have that entrepreneurial spirit. And then number two, we're finance people. So immediately wherever we are, we're like, Oh, I know how I can make money with this. I know how I can improve upon this. 
or like, oh, they're totally missing the boat on the, like, that's just how I'm hardwired. I'm in, it's not that I necessarily want to go do this business that I'm currently in, but I can immediately, I'm like, oh, this is what else, this is how they could increase margin or make this more efficient or do this. And to me, it's just, I just see it like immediate, immediately. So those thoughts are always in my brain. Whether I want to go do that is a different story, but I'm. it's just hardwired into who I am. I'm always thinking that wherever I am at all times. Yeah, I think, as you said, it's part of your nature. Business and family. This is a funny topic. It shouldn't be a funny topic, but it's kind of a funny topic. It's a funny topic because when I started in this business, I didn't have a family and I was driven to just go kick ass, right? And just go really work my butt off. And how old were you? I was, when I started in the business, I was 23. 23, uh, okay, yeah. So I was kind of like just going and making time for families, a very important thing and hitting that switch. And occasionally, like I go see a psychiatrist probably once every six months, once every year. And then she says, okay, you got nothing else to talk about. You're good. And I'm like, I'm good. And then she goes, all right, well, call me if you need me. And occasionally like I'll call her and the first thing she'll ask me you know, I'll be talking about business for about 15 minutes and she'll go, you haven't mentioned your kids. Talk to me about that. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is why I go to see her. It kind of, tw- it makes me go, I got to stop focusing on business. My kids are at home. Like I gotta, I, I gotta be present at home. Do you find this tough, this business family thing, or are you able to switch it off pretty, pretty well? Yeah, I'm, I've gotten much better at it because the kids are getting a little bit older. It's they're four and four and six going to be seven. And I just, I make it more of a conscious effort where when I go home, I put my phone away and I'm not, I'm not screwing around. I, of course I have my moments, but for the most part, it's when I'm home, when I'm, when I'm there, I want to be present. I want to be all in when I'm there. I used to try and do too much. I used to kind of be bouncing back and forth and checking, checking email. I want to be responsive and I want to do this. And I don't want anybody to get upset with me. And you're just trying to please you're trying to please too many masters and it's okay. It's, I've learned to just, it's me. I'm the problem. I just need to sh- shut it off. I've never had anybody get upset with me because I didn't respond to them in three hours. I just got to shut it down. And then it's just scheduling, time blocking and like, no, this is the, what I'm doing and planning. I like to plan out my weeks in advance. Like, Hey, I'm going to do this with this daughter on this day. And this is where I'm going to do this with my wife, or this is going to be our thing. And I just, map that out. And it also helps me mentally get into it. So I'm in the right, in the right frame of mind. So when I do show up, I am, I am all in and I'm not distracted. Yeah, that's good. I I had, I had a couple moments where, you know, I caught myself, you kids pulling at your pant leg and you're on your phone and you're doing the, ah, just one minute, hold on. And you're like, and you, I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting annoyed at like the most beautiful like human being on the planet right now. I'm getting annoyed. She just wants my attention. And I'm telling Andy Panko why he's an idiot on LinkedIn for talking about fees. I'm like, what am I doing? What, what, what am I, what am I doing here? Just stop. Like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. That's normal though. It's, and it's, and I actually had this conversation with a client who was in today I find, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I find that in practice with clients now that have been doing it a while, I find that people around like 38 to kind of 48, they be, there's like this curve where they 
start getting obsessive about retirement. And I were or not even obsessive, but they really get hyper focused on on retirement. And I believe it, it's because in your four, like that's when you are pulled in the most direct, like the most amount of directions. You have the most amount of responsibility. You're dealing with career. You're dealing with marriage. You're dealing with ki- like kids that demand your want your attention. You're dealing with activities that the, for the kids. You're dealing with running your practice, running your business. You're some people dealing with aging parents. Like we're, it's the time in our lives where we're pulled in the, in the most directions and we're spread the most thin. So immediately we're like, I can't do this forever. I can't keep doing this shit. I gotta, I cannot keep at this job forever because that's where the bulk of your time is spent. So the human brain, we're, we're like, how do I eliminate that? How do I work on this problem? And then I find that people are, and then they lighten up, you know, and then my clients that are in their fifties, it's not at, yeah, they want to retire, but it's not as, I don't know, they don't come in with that emotional, like I can tell when somebody's emotionally triggered, like I just, I can't do it. I'm burnt out. I can't deal with this shit anymore. I can tell when they're there. And then more like in the fifties, everyone gets a little bit more chill. Kids are a little bit older, maybe high school, college, and things are winding down. They're not as stressed about expenses because they they kind of either they've gotten to the point where like it is what it is and they've made peace with it or they actually have the money put away and they've followed your advice. But either way, it just kind of, things get a little bit more chill as they get get older. I don't know, have you, you kind of see that same arc? I do. And I think I... I... It, uh, those are perfect clients to start coming in. You want you want, you want, you can actually help you can help those forty plus year olds really a lot by them doing the planning and kind of understanding that and seeing where everything is. So I find that well, I think that's I think that's the so when you talk about financial planning and I think one of the things I'm I'd love to sell like I I enjoy selling the concept of the financial plan getting people to actually take action on paying and doing a financial plan I love that I just I've I really enjoy that. That's exciting to me. And it feels like, I know it's fun. Like well, it's where you're going to actually be able to help the client, right? Because the other stuff is kind of cruise control to some extent. And it, um, when you're, that's your avatar, anybody in their forties with a family, that's it. That's who needs financial planning the most because in your twenties into your early thirties, pre-family, pre-kids, arguably it's pretty simple, but then life starts to get complicated and career and time. And like, that's who financial planners are really f- at the beginning, we can really help those people. And then it's the at retirement people who are trying to like de distribute everything out. Those I think are the two like sweet spots. And that's what I built all of my planning deliverables and my financial. So we have like, I split the practice into accumulators and decumulators. And we even focus our communications on speaking to those people differently, communicating to them differently with with stuff that we send out because they have different needs yeah no yeah the i call it the accumulation stage and and payout stage of life and uh, yeah i actually it's the people in the mid 50s that tend to need the most help if they haven't already sat down with a financial planner that those are the ones you got to get everything on speed control over the next five to ten years to get everything set up for them so but hey it's a great field we're in it's a lot of fun there's a lot of stress. You get paid for that stress and you get paid handsomely for that stress. And you should, I mean, I don't know. I don't know any other families or other people that I go on vacation with 
that are walking around like stressed about how the outside world could affect their livelihood like tomorrow, <laughs> like, or their, or what their day could look like based upon that. Right. Like I try to, me and my wife always joke. She goes, she owns a liquor company. And so she's, she's like, you know, I'm just as stressful as you are. And I go, no, no, you are honey. You are trust me. But like, like the market drops 2000 points tomorrow, even though that's outside of my control, they're expecting me to be on, even if I'm on vacation. So, so that's the, I've started to, I've started to be able to go away now. Like I just got back from Alaska. I was gone for a week and a half and luckily mm -hmm. the markets were calm. There was no Brexit. There was, no, there was nothing going on while I was away, which was nice for a change, but. Well, see, we deal, we talk about every single day with clients. We deal with death, disability, and an irrational market, which we're, which is what we're depending on to drive the results of all the plans that we do. We have to talk about some of the most uncomfortable things that people ignore for lifetimes or never even address. Yep. And it's our job. We bring those up. We deal with these uncomfortable issues every single day of our life. Yep. So to circle back on the the compensation thing, no, I don't feel bad. I don't feel bad about it at all. I just think of anytime any that thought starts to creep in my head. I mean, just think about Jay Z. Jay Z is a billionaire, and he just he just rhymes some words together. And what value does he add to the middle? Like real value does he bring to the middle class? That that is real tangible value. Like that's going to make somebody's life easier. Now, I love me some Jay-Z, don't get me wrong. But when you start to, when you think it in that context, you're like that guy's a billionaire because he just marketed some great music, which is awesome. Power yeah. to you. But no, I don't feel bad at all. Not for one iota. Well, not for what me and you are doing. I think there are other advisors out there that maybe should, you know, you know. So yeah, if two two direction mutual, you know, if you're yeah. just shopping everybody and insurance products, just abusing, and you're never gonna you're never gonna get rid of all of it. There's always gonna be there's always just gonna be people out there just using this as a sales job to make commissions. Yep. There's yep. nothing you can do about it. Yep, you can't fight it. But the one benefit is that it allows you to stand out too. So it, there's a positive in a lot of crappy people in the field, which is. When you run across those people, they see the true value in you and they appreciate you even more. So Anthony, it was great to have you on, man. Any last topic you want to throw out there? I could do a financial advisor joke for you. Go for it. We could always use a joke. We'll end on a joke. There's, there's a this financial advisor. His name is, uh, let's call him Robert Moth. Robert Moth. And he is just feeling terrible about his life. He's just wondering, have I wasted my life as a financial advisor? Is this, have I chosen the right profession? So he goes to go see a podiatrist. He goes into the podiatrist's office and the podiatrist said, well, what's going on, Moth? What can I do for you? He said, well, I, I just chose this profession and I got into it and... I kind of, I didn't really choose it. I just fell into it. And then I spent my life and I never, I haven't really made all that much money, but I've made enough to get by. And there's some things that I wanted to provide for my family. I haven't been able to provide. And I kind of feel like a hypocrite because I advise people on money and I don't really have all that much money. And the podiatrist is like, well, you really should probably talk to a psychiatrist about that. And he said, well, it's not just that. And He's just going on, like Moth is just going on and on about like all the problems that he has as a financial advisor. And he feels like his life is wasted. And the podiatrist is like, listen, Moth, you got to understand 
you got to talk to a psychiatrist about this. I'm not, I'm a foot doctor. He's like, yeah, I know. He's like, well, why did you come in here? He said, because the light was on. <laughs> I thought the punchline was going to be because I need a foot on my head. <laughs> that was my very, so that's a, it's a Norm McDonald. Yeah. Norm McDonald does that joke and it's just rambling and rambling. And then the punchline is because the light was on because he's a moth. So he, it's a terrible joke. And he, nor in true Norm fashion, he drags it out. And somebody asked him, Norm, how'd you come up with that joke? And he's like, well, it's a, it's really a three line joke, but I was on Conan. I was doing Conan and Conan's like, Hey, I got the next segment is seven minutes. He's like, what do you got? He's like, I don't have anything. I don't have a set. And he's like, well, you got to come up with something. And he's like, all right, I'll, I, I got something. And he said he did that for seven minutes until he <laughs> got to the punchline on Conan and the punchline was moth. That's only Norm. Only Norm McDonald could do that. I love that guy. Yeah. Or we could just do his OJ jokes when he, remember SNL when he came out? When the OJ verdict came out, when they found OJ non, not guilty, yep. he's on SNL and he said, it's official. Murder is now legal in California. <laughs> Good. All right, Anthony. Good to see you, my friend. Bye, Glad buddy. to have you on. For those of you out there, hopefully you enjoyed today. Today was more of a, a just a dialogue. And, Jam and, session. And fun. Something fresh. So thanks again, Anthony. And we'll see you soon. 